Um, hey, if you would, turn with me to Mark 3, Mark 3 and John chapter 15. Mark chapter 3, John chapter 15. Take a second, turn there. As you're turning there, let me just kind of share a couple things. Um, we as a church this year, in light of like 2019 going to 2020, we're praying just about some, just some big picture things for this year. Now, 2020 has been the year of the unexpected. I, I remember in like December 2019, everyone's like, I cannot wait to get out of 2019. And now I'm like, I don't know if you feel that way. Um, but this has been a year we've just been praying for vision and clarity. And I feel like this has been a, a year of just haziness and, and fogginess. And just, it's kind of been an interesting year. I don't know if anyone foresaw what this year would look like. But here's what we're, we want to talk about is every fall, we want to take a moment to just kind of stop and pause reflect on the year, but also look ahead. Um, we want to do this this year for three weeks. Um, we'd like to have like a vision update a little bit. What's going on? What's happening? What are some things we're praying over? And so we want to take some time to do that. And as we do that, uh, I feel like this is what the Lord has allowed us to do. It's allowed us to get away in 2020. It's allowed us to kind of take a step back, to ask some questions. Um, we just want to, you know, be in tune with, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, saying, God, what is it you want us to do? What is it you want us to invest our time and energy and money and resources into um, how can we be a community that truly follows Jesus, and what does this look like? So there's really been kind of two questions we've been asking I want to share is, what is a disciple, and, and how do we make one? What is a disciple, and how do we make one? I know it sounds maybe simple enough, but what, is it, what does it look like? What is a disciple? What does a follower of Jesus look like? How do we actually make one? And so I'm so excited about this because we've been able to take the last several months to pray and plan and talk to other leaders and, and make this thing that we hand out to you guys today. So if you want to kind of open up this folder, it's called the Discipleship Pathway. Uh, our hope is to practice the way of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? Here's what this looks like. Um, the first page, you'll see this. Uh, right away, you just see this kind of one, two, three. Here's how we want to look at this uh, for us as a community that is following Jesus. Here's what a disciple is. Someone who is with Jesus, you're just simply with him. Someone who learns from Jesus, and not just in an academic way, but in a transformative way. Not just to gain knowledge and information, but to learn the way of Jesus, to let it carry out into our life. And then lastly, we want to do what Jesus did. We don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers as well. So we're looking at kind of a disciple going, man, they're with Jesus, they're just simply with him. Just spend time with him. They learn from him, and they do what he does. Now, it's not like step one, step two, step three, don't view it like that, but more just in this ongoing sense. Like, it's not linear, it's how do we do this all at once? How do we be with him and learn from him and do what he did and how do we model what Jesus showed us with the disciples and how to do that in 2020 where we have cars, we drive around and things look a little bit different. And so we want to do our best to kind of talk through this. So the next few weeks, we're going to be kind of breaking this down. Today, I'm simply going to look at being with Jesus. Um, as a follower of Jesus, it simply means to be with him. And what does that mean? And so that's what we're going to kind of unpack today, to just be with Jesus. We want to simplify this. I mean, I want, I want my kids to know this as they grow up. I want you guys, I want to grow in this. I want the Lord to kind of keep working on this in my heart, which is it's not so much about what I do for him as much as I just need to be with him. And through that will come action and through that will come change. And so um, we're going to spend some time talking about this and, and looking at this more in depth. And there'll probably be a lot of questions. I want to encourage you guys, if, if you would, just so we don't um, pass these out every week, but if you would bring this back the second week, the third week, take notes in it, write questions in it, uh, dialogue with us. We might try to do something, you know, midweek, social media-wise, just to understand where you're at with this. But um, we want to be with Jesus, and then I want to unpack that a little bit more. So Mark, Mark chapter 3, John 15. We're going to read the text, and then we're going to do that. We're going to unpack that a bit more. All right. 
So Mark chapter 3, verse 13, I'm going to read this from the ESV because wear and tear my old Bible, I can't find that page anymore. All right, Mark 3, verse 13, it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, whom Jesus desired, and they came to him. And Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrines, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Those were the 12 disciples Jesus decided to do life with. Um, we're going to pray, and we're just going to ask the Lord to really just speak and guide us in this time. And um, again, you guys, I, 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 this is so encouraging because I'm not talking to a camera mistake. I really do believe there's something about collectively being the people of God, worshiping God, God inhabiting the praises of his people, God being with us in this collective form. So would you actually just take a second, pray with me, just at you for five, ten seconds that God speak to us today, and then I'll pray and we'll get started. All right, let's do that. Take a second, just pray. Invite the Lord here. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to gather. God, let us never forget that feeling of what it was like to not be gathered. God, I ask that this would not just be a novelty the first few weeks, that Jesus, there would be this hunger and excitement to press into community, to truly be the local expression of the body of Christ. God, I ask that you would just do something different, that we really would not forget um, the last six months of not being together, that Jesus, you would create a hunger, a thirst for righteousness for you, Jesus, for what your heart is for the, for the, the bride of Christ, for, for just the church, that Jesus, we would learn from what it is you, you teach us, you show us, that we would model that, that we'd carry that out, God, that um, I look at the disciples, I look at this room, God, though we be different, Lord, that is so beautiful. Though there be different backgrounds and beliefs and personalities, Jesus, we just want to see the community, God, the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ be what it is you designed it to be. So we thank you, Jesus, and we ask that you would speak and that you would move in your name. Amen. You know, you, you have to admit it, um, sometimes we Christians can be a little bit strange, a little bit out there, a little bit weird. You know, we all have that crazy uncle, we're like, oh, they're here. Um, I think we also have just, you know, that one friend who's on Facebook that's a Christian, you're like, oh, they're posting again. We all kind of have those feelings, right? And you, you kind of sense, like, that seems a little strange, that seems a little bit different. Let's be honest, sometimes uh, just Christian culture in general can be strange. It can be weird. The, the words we use, the way we talk. The clothing we wear, like a lot, the Christian culture of it can kind of be weird sometimes. Um, I think the hardest part about this is almost what we value. Sometimes what we value is a little bizarre. For example, you know, we have Jesus, like the literal words of Jesus, right? And he says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. I'm like, got it. And he's like, okay, so love them. I'm like, yep, got it memorized. So they're like, do it, like, go love them. I'm like, I, it's right here. And it's funny, I, I think about this with my son, Micah. I'm like, Micah, go, go clean up your toys. He's like, okay, got it. And I come back, did you clean your toys? No, but you, I remember you said clean my toys. I'm like, okay, go do it. Like, clean your toys. Well, Dad, I memorized what you said, and I can also tell you in Greek what it says. It's pretty great. Um, imagine he's like, Dad, I actually have my, my five-year-old friends coming over, and we're going to do a little study on what it means to clean up your toys. So Sometimes you think, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Just, just go do it. 
right? I, I think that within Christian community, we can be guilty of this, and I can be guilty of this. I, that's sometimes what I fear in my group. When I, we have a clear command, and we're like, let's talk about the command. What do you think it means? Like, no. Sometimes we just need to go love. Sometimes we just need to do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with our God. You know, I get it. Like, all of us have within us maybe this little cynical lawyer. We're like, we're like what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And like, we like, and you know, listen, I get that. And we want to unpack that. But sometimes it just means follow Jesus. Submit to the way of Jesus. He says it. We, we listen. We hear it. We do our best to implement it and obey it, to follow the teachings of Christ. We don't always try to dialogue about it or debate about it. Sometimes there's a, there's a time and place for that, absolutely, to be like, let us understand this before we, we do something we don't understand. But in reality, it's like, let's break this cultural thing within our hearts of like, let's dialogue and talk, and then maybe if we really like it or we feel like it's convenient, we'll obey Jesus. Let's break that cultural thing within us, within our hearts. Uh, that's what I want to see happen here. So my hope is as we walk through this, the discipleship pathway, that this is not a perfect plan. It's not a perfect strategy. We do want to be able to answer that question honestly, since is how do you make disciples? We want to be able to answer that question, but we also want to leave room for the Holy Spirit. We want to leave room for God to work and move and to make certain things clear, and this might adjust a little bit. So, but that is still a question we've been like asking ourselves, which is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so in this text, it's, the, it's where Jesus appoints the 12. I want to look at two just big thoughts here. And again, we're going to take a couple more weeks to unpack this. But I want to look at two big thoughts here. All right, here's the first one. Uh, Jesus calls you to be with him. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. Number one, Jesus calls you to be with him. And number two, Jesus calls you and others to be with him in community. So Jesus calls you, it's personal. There's something about being with Jesus. And then there's something about it being collective, where he calls us together to follow him. And so let's kind of break this down a little bit. It's Mark chapter 3. Would you look at verse 13 again with me? Mark 3 verse 13, kind of into verse 14. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. Let's stop there. First of all, it says Jesus called them to himself. He called them. If, if you would, just circle that word, underline that word. I want you to think for a second about the uniqueness of Jesus' call. That Jesus called them to follow me. Uh, now, that is very different than how rabbis of his day would do that. Rabbis didn't necessarily be like, do you want to be my disciple? Usually you have like the pupil, the student say, I want a disciple under you. I want you to be my rabbi, my teacher. I want, I want to place myself under you. Jesus does it very differently. Jesus goes, let me search them out. And, and here's what we got to see, church, and this is just so true. Um, Jesus must initiate. God, God initiates with us. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, the story of the gospel is that first God like left heaven and came to earth. God comes to us. God seeks us out. It's not so much that we have to initiate relationship with God as much as God has initiated relationship with us. That brings me so much comfort and joy. To not be like, okay, if I just do, like, if I have a really good season of being a Christian, then God's like, all right, now you're ready to enter into phase discipleship, right? Like the angels in heaven are like, wow, wow, they, he actually really means it this time. Like, first of all, God enters into relationship with us. Jesus called them to himself. There's something about the call of Jesus. I, I hope everyone here, whether maybe in a moment like this where you're in a, a gathering, under worship, under the teaching of the word, maybe you sense the voice or call of God, Maybe it was alone, it was just private, where you just sensed the voice of God. I hope that everyone here has had that moment where they sense Jesus calling you by name and just saying, follow me. 
Paul, are you ready? Follow me. I think about what these men, and even what these women who followed Jesus, when Jesus had the 70, he had his inner circle, he had some of those families follow him. I think about what they gave up to follow him. Some gave up the family business. Some just gave up their, their culture, their way of life, the way they were raised, the way they were taught to live by certain things. They had to give up a lot to follow Jesus. I know we know this, but let's just think about this. There is a cost to following Jesus. I mean, it, it costs. You know, I do love this saying, because I think it's extremely true, but salvation is completely free. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That salvation is completely free, but discipleship will cost you everything. And when you think about the Gospels and those interactions Jesus had with others, there was that mindset of, listen, um, are you, just follow me. Well, first I need to bury my, my father. It's like, well, he's not even dead yet. Well, first I need to go back, and, and Jesus is just saying, follow me. There, there's a cost. And maybe you, you felt that recently. Maybe more recently you felt the cost of following Jesus. To truly live out love in a moment where you want to retaliate. To truly just show sacrifice and generosity in a moment where we want to kind of hoard. There is a cost to following Jesus. I mean, there just is. And this call is so unique. Because think about it this way, too. If you're, a, you know, a Jewish boy or girl, and you, you think about the temple, you think about rabbis, um, the idea was no rabbi would ever say, again, follow me. They wouldn't make that request. If anything, if you decide to go under a rabbi for teaching, they basically say, follow the Torah. Follow the commands of God. Follow the law of God. Jesus is doing something different. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. Now, it's so much greater than we want to follow the law and the commands of God, but we can actually follow God himself. We can actually have a relationship with the author of the book. That he says, follow me. That is such a beautiful thought. That I'm invited into a relationship to follow the one who, who wrote this, the one who designed this, the one who planned this. Think about, the, again, the cost, you guys, is absolutely radical and it's personal. The cost of following Jesus uh, might come across as radical at times, and, and that's because it is. Again, the life and the following the way of Jesus is going to look a lot different than what we're being told how to live and walk. It's going to be incredibly personal. Jesus said to them at different times, hey, you, you follow me, Peter, Andrew. In Mark 1.16, he just simply said, follow me. That's it, follow me. It's time for you to follow me. And I, there's nothing like following Jesus. There is a cost, but it's the most beautiful thing. Like you will never truly know Jesus unless you follow him. When I talk to people who are like, oh, I went to church, I grew up in the church, I, I tried the whole Jesus thing, I'm like, there's no way you tried the Jesus thing. Because once you follow Jesus, like a good, again, a rabbi to student, it's almost like you spent so much time with that rabbi, you talked like him, you smelled like him, their mannerisms became your mannerisms because you knew it was like to be with them. And, and this is what it's like to be with Jesus. And when you hear people say that, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever really followed Jesus. Maybe you followed Christian culture. Maybe you're highly aware of just some Christian Christianity, Christian knees, Christian tendencies, maybe. But did you truly follow Jesus? And there's just something about following Jesus that engages the whole person. Where you truly love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. I'm going to love him with my emotions. I'm going to love him with my will. I'm going to love him with my intelligence. I'm going to love him in every fabric of my life. And there's just something about following Jesus. It's incredibly unique. And here's what I want to say. If you've ever sensed the call of God, and please, obviously, you know this and hear this, don't ignore it. Like, if you've ever heard or experienced where God just nudging you, saying, follow me, give this up, leave it all, follow me. If you've ever experienced that, um, please do not ignore that. You know, I, I think of the, the different passages in scriptures, Revelation, Hebrews, we just went over, but it's like, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden his heart. Do not harden your heart. Today, if you'll hear God's voice, like, don't shut that off. If you've ever truly sensed the Holy Spirit, say, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Give up your way. 
give up your lifestyle, give up your way of thinking, follow Jesus. There's just some, don't ignore that, obey that, respond to that. And let me say this, following the call of God, I think it can happen um, many different ways and at, and at many different times. So I mean, at 16 years old, when I really, I heard the gospel my whole life, right? I grew up in a Christian home, like that kind of a thing. I was like, I don't know, it was just, just something I'm like, yes, I love God, I'm aware of him. But at 16 years old, I remember hearing the gospel presented in a way where it was undeniable. I remember thinking like, okay, I, I can't, like I can't deny this anymore and I can't live like different than what I'm hearing. Like sooner or later, I have to really make a decision. I'm either all in or I'm all against this. It's miserable living in the middle. It's miserable where you're like, I'll just kind of like follow Jesus like half-heartedly or at a distance. Like there's something miserable about that. And then there comes a point in time when you hear the gospel of grace, when you hear about the goodness of God, when you hear about how though we were just in complete rebellion and though, though our hearts are far from God, God just lovingly pursued us day after day, moment after moment. There's something about that where you just kind of surrender. You're like, I'm done. I'm in. And I'll say this, the call of God can come later. I think about different seasons of our life where God has asked us to follow him and give up different comforts or give up different, you know, futures that we thought for ourselves. And the call of God might come often, might just come maybe one time that salvation way, might come oftentimes in that following way. But I just think of this, this call to follow, to follow Jesus, to be with him. So think about it this way. When you were called to follow Jesus, you were saved from something and saved to something else. So we were saved from one thing and saved to another thing. God saved us out of something and God saved us into something. So let's first talk about what God saved us from. Man, God has saved us from a lot. Now, even that ter- like term saved, sometimes that just sounds so Christian, like we are saved people, but it is true. And maybe we take it for granted. Like think, think about this idea of we are saved from so much, from ourselves, from our self-destructive pater- patterns, behaviors, our attitudes. We are saved from the, just what, the sin, what sin can do to us. We're saved, obviously, from eternal hell and punishment. I mean, we're saved from so much, and I, I think it's easy to kind of hear that and almost just forget, like, what God has saved us from. Like, thank you, Jesus, for what you saved us from. Like, honestly, thank you, Jesus, for what you saved us from. From eternity separated from you, thank you. But God has saved us to something else, and this maybe is where we, as the church, forget it. We've been saved from a lot, but we've been saved to relationship with God. We've been, sa- we've been saved to a new community, to a new relationship, We've been saved to intimacy with Jesus. It is funny, I was talking to my son about this, like, just what does it mean to follow Jesus? And he goes, well, it means to go to heaven and not hell. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I really want to avoid, avoid some of that talk because that kind of messed me up growing up where I just thought about following Jesus was just let me not go to hell. When in reality, I'm saved to a beautiful and glorious relationship. I'm saved to have, I have meaning and value. I have purpose. I, though the world falls apart, I have this sense of endurance I would never have had before. There's a side of I'm saved to so much more. Again, I'm saved to intimacy with Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 14. Again, if you didn't catch it, he called them to himself. It says that they might be with him, that they might be with Jesus. Let's just simplify what it means to follow Jesus. It just means to be with him. Just be with Jesus. Just have those times where you can be you and Jesus, where it's you and him. And, and you're like, what does that look like? How do I do that? How, how do I not just be aware of God's omnipresence, but how do I truly be with Jesus? You know, there's a guy named Brother Lawrence who wrote uh, Practicing the Presence of God. He's like a 17th century monk. And he's probably the most well-known author for just writing about um, experiencing the presence of God. Because sometimes in the church, we can maybe just downplay it. And here's what I want to look at. Here's what he said. He said it this way. 
He said, there is not in the world a kind of love more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice it and experience it. He says, there's nothing like just this constant ongoing communication with God. Where it's almost like you get in your car and you can immediately start talking to God and, and it's never like that that was cut off. It's never like you just, I have 15 minutes a day and it's segmented where I spend time with God. It's just this ongoing conversation I have with God throughout my day. He, he went on to say it this way too. He says, one need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. I do love that. I think about Elijah when he's, you know, just experienced this deep depressive moment. And if you remember, like there, the, he's in a mountain, he's praying, he's depressed, and there's this, this great shaking there's like fire, there's all, there's a whirlwind, there's all these things happening. And, and it says, and God was in none of these. And then he hears that still small voice. And it obviously hits us. We're like, well, why was it a still small voice? Like we can use that verse a lot, but like why? It's because God was near. God didn't have to yell. God didn't have to send down like a hurricane for him to get the picture. God could just whisper to him because he's nearer than we think. There's just something about knowing that God, God wants to whisper to us because God's wants us to get very quiet and to find that sense of being be alone with him. And like, know that God wants to speak in those moments. Know that God is nearer than we think. So let's really think about this. So I think that when you read the scriptures, there's almost this idea that the men and women who are in these moments of crisis were not content to know that just theologically, God was omnipresent. Like that wasn't enough for them. Like we get it. God is with us. Jesus said, I'm with you always. Like, we, we get that omnipresence of God, that God can be everywhere at once. Like, we get that theologically, but it seems as if that was not enough for them. There is something, there really is something about saying, God, I, I know you're everywhere, but I want to experience the tangible and manifest presence of you, God. I mean, this is the early church in Acts 2, when they're praying, and they see tongues of fire come upon their head. This is where the tangible, manifest presence of the Spirit of God showed up. That, that is New Testament church. This is in Isaiah where they're saying, God, we know you're there, but break through the heavens and come to us. It's Isaiah 64. Let me just read this passage. It's so, so fire. He says, oh, that you would run the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as the fire burns brushwood, as the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down, the mountains shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. Listen, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you and your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned, and these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. Saying, God, you, you meet us. God, would you rend, just, would you break through the heavens? Would you come down? There's this idea of don't be content with this idea that just God is omnipresent. He's saying, we want, we want that tangible manifest presence of God. There's something about being with Jesus. And again, it's not like this happens all the time, but those moments where you just sense God is there and it's that overwhelming feeling. Maybe you just, you've had those times where you just sense God's love, his goodness is just poured over you. And you're like, God, you're so good. God, I'm such a wicked person. I'm so, and it's weird. There's a couple things happen when, you, when this happens. I feel like you sense the holiness of God. You're very aware of your sin and you're very aware of God's holiness. You're very aware that I am, who am I? You're very aware that before God, like it's, it's Job, it's Isaiah, it's woe is me. When I saw you, I, I loathed myself. There's something about you, you're aware of your sin, but then you're aware of his goodness. You're aware, you're aware of his holiness. 
you're aware of just his presence is there to like, one, it kind of defeats you, but then two, it lifts you. It does something where it breaks down Josiah, may I decrease, and then may Jesus increase. And it's this weird thing's happening where you feel like you're being destroyed and built at the same time. There's just something about saying, I'm not just content with this theological mindset that God is everywhere, God can be everywhere, but he's here. And he's nearer than we think. And that Jesus said, I've called you so that you might be with me. You know, it's a story in the book of Acts where the disciples who were Galilean fishermen, untrained, unlearned men, and yet there's this crazy power that no one can deny. And I know it's a verse you might know, but I'll just throw it up there. It's Acts 4 verse 13. It's after Peter and John, they healed the lame man. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they must have been with Jesus. I love that thought. They must have been with Jesus. These guys are unlearned, untrained men. Oh, I get it. They must have been with Jesus though. There's a side of it where they must have spent time with this Jesus guy, the one who turned the world upside down, the, the one that people cannot stop talking about his death and resurrection. They must have been with Jesus. That's, that's the source of their power. That's the source of their strength. That's the, that's the source of Peter's boldness to preach eloquently, even though he was just denying Jesus you know, a few weeks back. And now he's preaching boldly, willing to surrender his life, give up his life. And they, go, they must have been with Jesus. Obviously, the question is, can people tell we've been with Jesus? Can your coworkers and friends and neighbors say you must have been with Jesus? Can they see that in my life? That's a very intimidating question. They must have spent time with Jesus today. The way you're handling that moment, the way you're handling this thing in your life, you must have been spending time with Jesus because there's no way that's you, right? And maybe a friend said to you, like, how are you doing that? Like, how are you handling this, this thing you're walking through? And you're like, it's only because I've been walking with Jesus in this moment. There, there's just something about being with Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus, let's just make it really simple. Be with him. Spend time with him. Give him room. Give him space. Practice the disciplines we talked about. Practice the, the, the way that the world is constantly forming us. Pra- practice counterformation. Practice fasting and prayer and giving and uh, silence and solitude. And, and just practice these disciplines God has given us. That, that is our hope. To offer another story. To offer another worldview in this. To say there's a better way to live than what we're currently experiencing. Here, here's the thing. Again, it's not so much about what you might do for Jesus as much as just enjoying him first of all. One pastor said it this way, and we put it in the manual. He just said, ministry for Jesus flows from intimacy with Jesus. Please hear that. That that is the hope of be with Jesus. Ministry for Jesus flows from intimacy with Jesus. We want to see great things done in the name of Jesus here in South Florida, but let it be based and rooted in people who've spent time with him. Before we're trying to do all these great things, let's just be with Jesus. You can see our vision as we're moving to 2021 is how do we, we get our people and individuals in our church to just spend time with Jesus, to just enjoy Jesus. I mean, that is our hope from this. Another way of putting it, and maybe you've heard this, but it's just worth reading because no one can say it better than Jesus. But another way of putting it is this word abiding. Just abide. And it's in John 15. So why don't you turn there or we'll, we'll throw some of the verses up here. But John 15, the, the way to be with Jesus or Jesus would describe it is as abiding. All right, John 15. Jesus said this hours before he's taken to be crucified. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me does not, or he who abides in me uh, does not abide in me. Did I say that wrong? And oh, so he who abides in me and I in him, sorry, the font's so small, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So, so you will be my disciples. Now, there is not enough time to unpack this. We'll do like a series one day on this like for 15 weeks, okay? But when you look at this passage, Jesus like, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branch cannot bear fruit if it's cut off from the vine. It's just not. It has to be connected to the vine if it's going to bear fruit. And I don't know if you, you caught it, obviously, but he just said the word abide like 11 times. Abide in me, and I in you, and I'll abide in you. And how about we abide in each other? I don't know if we get the idea, but abide with Jesus. Be connected to Jesus. Abide in me, and I in you. There's intimacy. There's relationship there. There's connectivity there. There's so much there. He's saying, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to see change, uh, abide in me. And if you want to be cut off, don't abide in me. But he says, abide in me. I love how Eugene, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it. He wrote about the, the, the message version of the Bible. He's a great pastor and author who wrote a lot of books, but this is what he said. He says in John 15, 4, another paraphrase of it. He says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. It's again, Revelation 3, where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes to the door and answers, I'll come in and eat with him. I'll dine with him. I'll have a relationship with him. And there's this invitation from Jesus saying, come abide in me and I'll abide in you. And we'll have intimacy there. Church, if there's anything, if there's anything that we can just do on planet earth, it's just abide in Jesus, walk with Jesus, know Jesus. Like if there's anything we can give our lives to, just walk with Jesus, abide in Jesus. If you're like, think, what is the most important thing in life? I look at John 15 as that passage going, the most important thing is abiding in Jesus because you don't want to be the one who doesn't and is cut off. Abide in Jesus, walk in Jesus. Make, and I love the thought of make your home in Jesus. Just like when you do get a new home or you get married and you move in and you kind of like set things up your way and you're like, oh, we got our own place and our own space. The idea of just like having that intimacy with Jesus, making that time with him, find your rhythms. Maybe you, you thrive when you go on walks with the Lord. Maybe when you go on walks, that's when you hear the most. Maybe walks, you're like, no way, not in Florida. Maybe it's when you're alone in your room or maybe, I don't know if it's just at night when the kids are in bed and you can just go out into the living room and just thank God, praise God, sing to him, be still, be quiet. I don't know how you best hear from Jesus or abide in him, but find those rhythms, find, find how that might play out or work in your life. There's nothing else we could give our lives to that has more value than abiding with Jesus. Amen. There's nothing better than walking with Jesus. There's nothing else we could live for better than this whole first point, which is be with Jesus. Uh, Oswald Chambers said it this way, we slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him. I'm sure that's a word for someone here. I'm sure that's a word for me at many points in my life, that we slander him and we try to work for him without knowing him, without truly knowing him. How are you going to know him? You've got to walk with him. You've got to walk with Jesus. You see, there was a lot of crowds that followed Jesus, but then there was the community. There's a lot of crowds that were like, oh, it's Jesus. He's the guy that like feeds us, right? Like that would be cool. Like this is the guy that walked on water and brought this person back to life. There's a lot of people excited about Jesus. Listen, in the church, there's a lot of people excited about Jesus. There's a difference between a crowd though and a community that says through thick and thin, that says I'll be with you even when they're rejecting you. There's a difference between the crowds who say, what can I get from Jesus? And the other side, the community that says, I just want Jesus. Listen, it's not, it's not what can I get from Jesus, just get Jesus. It's not what can Jesus do for me? It's just, I just want Jesus. 
as you abide, just abide with him. So here's the first point. It's simple. Um, Jesus calls you to be with him. Now, here's what we see from this passage as well. Jesus calls you, number two, Jesus calls you and others to be with him in in community. We'll keep reading, but it's verse 14. We'll just kind of pick back up in verse 14. He appointed the 12. He appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that it might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12 uh, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrines. That is the sons of thunder. Cool story about that. We'll talk about that later. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Um, again, I'm not sure what translation you have, but I'll say they, them. He called them that they might be with him. They, them. There's this idea that Jesus never called one alone. He called them together in community. You know, I, I think there's this mindset within the church, and I really want to fight against it, which is um, this almost idea of, like, for me to be discipled, it must be one-on-one. The only time you see Jesus really one-on-one with people is, like, for evangelism reasons. It's like Nicodemus, one-on-one. Jesus discipled in community. Jesus discipled people together, one-on-three, one-on-twelve, maybe two-by-two, but they're part of 70. But you see that discipleship really does happen in community, because I really do want to fight this idea that I must have one person I report to. And and why do we want that? I think, why do I crave that? Why do we crave that so often? I think in many ways, because then it's more about me. It's more about me. Let's talk about me, my issues, my problems, where I can... Here's the thing. When it's in community, man, there is going to be someone there that thinks differently, acts differently, rubs you the wrong way, and Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I love them. Yeah, yeah, press into that relationship. Jesus calls them to be together in community. There's not this sense of I follow Jesus alone, like this lone ranger. There's this I'm doing this together with other believers. And I'm so thankful for people who think differently, have different upbringings, backgrounds, ethnicities, race. I'm so thankful for that is the body of Christ. Here's the idea, actually. In verse uh, 14, it says he appointed 12. He appointed 12. This word appointed, it literally means to create. It means that he made something new. So when it says he appointed He's saying he's making something new here. Like this, you can look at this up or read into it, but the idea of he's making something new right there in that moment. He appointed the 12. He's creating this new community. See, the church is, in a sense, this new community. I mean, you read Galatians and Ephesians. The authors are pointing something that uh, the Old Testament Jews might have missed out on, which is, hey, you are to be a light to the Gentile nations. God has broken down this barrier, so it doesn't matter. Galatians 3 talks about whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female, whether you're slave or free, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus, with these 12, was making a brand new community. And again, it was a very different kind of community. I mean, we've talked about this before, but why not? Let's talk about it. You have Simon the Zealot, and you have Matthew the tax collector. One, who's a zealot, who literally this means he hated Rome, he hated government, anti-government, and he would be the guy. Zealots were also known for like stabbing government officials and like running away. Like, it's just not a good guy, Simon the Zealot. Think of Matthew the tax collector. They were also known for not just collecting taxes, but for adding in their own, like inflating the taxes to get some profit from it. Not a good guy. One's oppressive, one's seeking in his mind justice, and Jesus says, you're going to do life together. And you're going to be in community for the next three years. We're gonna, you're going to sleep in the same outside stars. You're going you're gonna to eat the same food. You're going to follow me. And I, I can't imagine, I, I feel like they left them out on purpose probably. Why don't we hear a lot about these guys? There's probably a lot of reasons. But I love this. I love that Jesus says, we're going to get under one roof and you're going to do life together. Like it's not okay to just say, well, you just, you're, you're a zealot. I'm a tax collector. Or I'm a zealot. You're a tax collector. Mm-mm, this isn't going to work here. Jesus goes, we're, no, we're going to do life in this way. We're going to carry out community in this way. Church, there's something beautiful that I absolutely love when I, when I see people from our church and I, know, and I hear them, and I hear their stories, and I hear what's especially happening right now in the cultural moment that we're in. And you have people who are experiencing this feeling, and there's people who are experiencing this feeling, and my encouragement is like, get in a room. 
get in a room, talk, pray, love, listen, learn. Like, get in a room and just talk. You're the body of Christ, man. If we're divided, how can, how can we accomplish anything if we're constantly at odds with each other? How can we just learn and listen and say, I want to seek to understand because I, and again, there's a side of it where you're like surrendering maybe your, your framework or your interpretation of scriptures. You're saying, can we do this together? Can we live life together? And can we do it more than once? Can we do it for weeks on end? For them, three years? Can we do this? Not we, oh, we had one conversation. We're good. Can we just do this for a while where we truly live life together? And I think the Holy Spirit is trying to press the church into that. Maybe things are being brought up that are bringing some of the uncomfortableness. And in reality, the Holy Spirit is like, this is an opportunity an opportunity to have real, real relationship, real conversations, real topics to go over, not to kind of brush over it, not to kind of ignore it. I'm so thankful that in the last several months, I've had some conversations on a a plethora of topics with people that I've been able to listen and learn and challenge and provoke and understand and say, seek out this in a greater way with other people within our church community. This is not something to fear. This is something to embrace. You see, obviously, the the, the body has two options right now. The church has two options. Either be completely divided or to say, we're going to press in more into community. I mean, what, what do you want to do? Just want to be more and more divided? Or do you want to say, we're going to fight for biblical and healthy community? We're going to fight for John 17, that we be one as Jesus and the Father are one. We're going to fight for this. Um, you're not my enemy. I'm not going to fight you. We're going to fight for community. We're going to fight for the same thing here, that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out, that people are, are made followers of Jesus, and that we truly show love and, and manifest love in tangible ways to our community. And we're going to fight for the same things. And I would love to see the church rise up in that moment. This is that moment for us to either be more and more frustrated, more and more divided, or say, no, we're going to press more into these uncomfortable moments and conversations and ask the Holy Spirit to show up and surrender our pride and ego. And God, truly give me ears to hear. And I just think this is when the Holy Spirit can show up and do amazing things. Amen? Amen? Let us, amen? Let us press into this. This really is an opportunity. To say, listen, I just want to, I just want to listen. I want to learn. I want to, I want, we have the same goal here, right? That the name of Jesus may be glorified. Yes, we do. Okay, let's just start with the main things. See, let's talk about this really quick because when Jesus appointed the 12, it says that he called them to himself. The community of these 12 guys, the center was what? Jesus. We call this a theocentric or Christocentric community. The idea is Christ is the center point of this community. That we can be glued together and held together because we have the same like, nucleus. I don't even know if I'm using the right terms because I'm not a science guy. But we can like, have the same things to be held together because Jesus is the center point. Like, because he's the focus. You see, the, here's the thing. You can have a lot of churches that are, are for a lot of good things. A lot of good things. And it's good to talk about those things and, and have, but can I just bring this up? We want to be a community centered on Jesus. That Jesus is the, the main point, the starting point, the only point, the ending point, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end that we will address and talk through other things, absolutely. But you know what? If, it's, if Jesus is in it, we're not going to be in it. That we, want, we want Jesus to be the center of this community and everything we do. We want this to be a theocentric community, a God-centered community, where these men, that Jesus called them to himself. Listen, this is where relationships can then be restored. This is if it's between siblings or friends or people groups. This is how you can have reconciliation is through the center point of Jesus. That Jesus has called this person and you to follow him. And this is the book of Ephesians. This is exactly God's heart that we might be the ecclesia of this church. This, this, this gathering of people that God has called out of one thing into another. That Jesus has recreated a new community. He appointed the 12. He recreated these men into something different, into something new. It's called the church. And this should be the most enticing thing to the world that though there's a vision, the church is united. And that would be the most beautiful thing to see in this moment. But there's just something different standing out. So uh, here's what one guy said, John Stott, a great theologian, said, For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. 
It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. This is God's way of bringing in people from all over into one healthy relationship, and that is through Jesus being the center of it all. Now, let's think about this. I mentioned Acts 2 for a second, but in Acts 2, Jesus died and rose again. He ascended into heaven, and you still have the disciples in community. They're still together. They're praying. They're praying in this upper room. So they followed Jesus in community. Jesus died and rose again. They're still in community and they're praying, God, fall upon us. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for this moment where the Spirit comes upon us. And if you remember, the Holy Spirit falls upon everyone in the room. Men and women alike, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They see, they see these tongues of fire. And I just love that thought of like, you could see it over other people's heads and you're like, is that on my head? Like they could just see it though and just praying that that would be also what they're experiencing. I want that. But there's this amazing thing happening. And if you remember, Peter gets up, preaches the gospel because it was Pentecost. It was a festival. It was a feast. There's many people in Jerusalem. He speaks. He preaches the gospel. Everyone hears it. And like their known tongue, the way, what they speak in. And it says that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. An amazing thing happened. Holy Spirit falls on the church He preaches. All these nations are gathered together. They're now saved. They're now followers of Jesus. They're about to go home and make disciples in their nation. But you see 3,000 people get saved. And know what's so cool? Know what the church does? Know what their solution, like what they do? They go, uh, this is what they do. They say, let's get in community. Like, let's let's take this big community and get into smaller communities. That's what they did. I mean, it's Acts 2.42, a verse we well know. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. That literally, what this amazing miracle, they're going, uh, 3,000 people just got saved. Let's now devote ourselves to eating together, to apostles' doctrine, to like community, to fellowship, to like the breaking of bread. Let's devote ourselves to living life together, to building our lives upon the same teachings, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings that we have here in the scriptures. We're going to live our lives in this way. And, and in fact, it says in Acts 2.46, it says, So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. A couple things. Uh, notice the big thing here. They met in the temple and house to house. They had large gathering. They had small gatherings. They had a way to hear the word together and to live out that word together. To collectively go, let's break this up into our world, into our language, into our community, into our various areas. They had the large gathering and small gathering. I don't think it's one or the other. They met in the temple and house to house. And I love this, that it's always like a sense around food. This just brings me, you know, when we first started like church planning, I feel like it's, so it was in our house. Like, our whole budget was going to food. You're like, oh, would you spend your money on, like, food? And I was thinking about this and talking to their pastors and leaders. Like, this, this is probably the best thing you could spend your money on early on. And even still, just, like, gathering around food, having fun, creating conversations, creating dialogue, meeting people with different, again, backgrounds and expressions and going, yes, we're, God, you're building something new here. We want to learn from this moment of what it is you're doing. Uh, a pastor named Greg Laurie wrote a book called Upside Down Church, and he, he said this, and I thought it was just so, so fitting for this moment. He said, if we train people to be consumers instead of communers, we'll end up with customers instead of disciples. If we train people to be consumers instead of communers, we'll end up with customers instead of disciples. You know, part of me is just tired of consumer church, right? But please hear me. By no means do I want to assume that our community is better than the next. I, that, there's such a grace I have for other churches, other pastors, other leaders, and I say, God, thank you for them. Thank you for what they've been doing in our community in South Florida for years and years. But my prayer is, God, build more of this. Like, build more com- communers. Not that we're doing it right and they're doing it wrong. It's not, not even that. It's just, Jesus, help us. Help us get this vision of, we don't want to just continue to build up consumers. You come, you hear, you leave. That you have something to give, that people need you, that you need them, that there needs to be dialogue, relationship. There needs to be, let's go grab a meal together. 
hey, maybe there's be challenge where someone's provoking you. Man, you're, you've been you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years. You, you have so much to give. Have you thought about serving? There needs to be challenge. There needs to be for the new believers saying, hey, this whole Jesus thing, I don't really get it. The guy said some things I have no idea what he's talking about. Can you help me understand this? Like, we need to do this. We need to press into this. Where we're truly, like, like again, not just coming and leaving. And I know that's at the heart. I'm so thankful for what the Lord has been doing. And again, if you, even if you're listening online, there's that side of like, get into a group, whether digitally. We, we want to provide different avenues where we keep people can have these conversations and dialogue and serve together and love together. And again, this isn't just like me trying to be, I, I, this is you guys, you taking this. You know, I think about our job as pastors. Ephesians 4 says, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You guys are the ones doing ministry. Like my job is like equipping you. Like, come on, you can do it. I, I want to keep, equip you, give you the right tools, but you're like, decide what, what ministry you're doing. I'm like, I don't know, what are you, what is it, what are you doing? Because that's the church. I mean, th- this, is, this is what it is. This is our, our, our best take to say, help, we want to equip you best so we can truly do the work of the ministry so people can be brought to the family of God. That people's lives and eternities can forever be changed. And this, isn't, this is our job. This is the ministry of reconciliation, that the world would be reconciled to God. This is the job we all have. And so uh, this is the phrase I want to look at. They devoted. They devoted themselves. Again, you know, I don't know. What are you devoting? Your time, your energy, your thinking capacity, your resources, what are you devoting it to? They devoted themselves to one to another. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, communion. They devoted themselves to this. They said, we're going to give our lives to this. This is what we value and we'll fight for. And there's a, a sense of we're all in. We're going to double down on this whole community thing. We're going to double down on this whole knowing the scriptures and applying the scriptures together thing. That we're going to devote ourselves to it. And that is our hope, is that we would devote ourselves. So again, you, you know this, right? What is your time being devoted to? You know, Billy Graham talked about, I can know a lot about a Christian by looking at their checkbook, even though no one here has a checkbook. But the idea is, I, I can know a lot about a person by what they're spending their money on. What do you value? Oh, you value a lot of um, free time things or things that maybe are more entertainment related. Or, oh, look at you value this dating website. I have no idea. But look at you value these certain things. And I think what ultimately is happening is saying we're going to devote ourselves one to another. You know, I was thinking about this. It's, it's, we're in 2020, man. It's just a weird time in general. We're trying to, like, we're trying to go back old school in some ways. So like, let's do community the way Jesus described it. And it's hard. But we're also trying to understand 2020 and the way things work. And how do we do this well? And how, how can we implement things? And it's bizarre because I feel like today people kind of treat churches like online dating, where it's like, okay, are they between the ages of an X and X? And do they have these beliefs? No, I'm out of here. And that's not what the church can be. It cannot be that. It's young old, every ethnicity, every background, every race, and saying, yes, we're coming together in the name of Jesus. It cannot be this online shopping around thing. I'll say this, if you're looking around, praise God, but eventually, give it a month or two. After you have a few visits, find a local community and press into it and give yourself to it and love it and be present and be committed and be there like marriage where it's good or bad, for better or for worse, I'm all in. Again, we live in this time where you go, marriage is hard, I'm out. Work is hard, I'm out. Kids are hard, I'm out. And God is just saying, press in. We need people that endure. We need people that, despite what they're feeling, feelings are not God. We're going to put our will and we're going to put God's word above our feelings. Feelings are important. Feelings are necessary. But I'm not going to base off my decision making off that. How am I feeling right now in the moment? Okay, I'm in or I'm out. We're going to say, God, this is your word. It's an act of the will. That despite my feelings, I might not want to show up at 745. Thank you to everyone who showed up at 745. I might not want to, but there's this act of the will. Like, I'm all in. And that is such a beautiful thing. So let me just end with a couple thoughts. There are some obstacles to community. There are some lies that we tell ourselves about community. I'll start with the lies we tell ourselves. Some lies we tell ourselves. We go, I don't have time. That's a lie. If I look at your phone right now, I'm like, let me see how long you spent on social media. Like, no, no, don't look at that, because um, you can do that. Um, we have time. 
We say, I'm an outsider, I won't fit in. I think another lie we'll say is, I, I have nothing to offer. I've tried community before, nothing changed. There's so many more. But there's these lies we tell ourselves before we show up. We're like, mm, am I going to fit in? What if I show up and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to fit in here? And we, start, and we start listening to the voice of the enemy. We start listening to lies that will keep us from deep community, deep friendship, deep intimacy. Again, no one they all follow Jesus together. There's a sense of we're going to do this together. And, and again, I would say just press against those lives. Here's some obstacles, and I've shared something similar before, but when it comes to obstacles, um, being connected is not true community. Just because you have a lot of friends on social media, just because you know what's going on in everyone's life somehow, because it's really creepy we can do that today, but just because we, we know those things does not mean there's true community happening. It's not mean there's true friendship happening. Being connected is not the same as community. Also, chemistry is not the same as community. Again, you might not go, like, you might show up in a group and it might not be your kind of group. We all like going to things where it's like, like people like us. Like, wait, you like that music? I like that music. And I think what happens is like, because I like me and I like my, my taste and I like you because you like my taste. All right, no, it's okay if someone has a different perspective. It's okay if someone has different interests. That actually might be a beautiful thing and a good thing. I'm not saying it's wrong to be with people similar than you, to you, but I'm saying challenge that, press that, be stretched in that, invite some people who might think differently or approach things differently on those things. Uh, and, and also isolation individualism is the antithesis of community. Meaning, you know, there's something that can happen in our hearts where we have a disillusionment with community. Where we kind of go, ah, it wasn't what I thought. That church, that small group, that pastor, that their theology, it was not what I thought. It's not what I thought it was. And you can always, like, we have this hope, and this ever-ending hope of going from person to person, group to group, and going, it's not what I thought it was, not what I thought it was. It's not going to be what you think it is. Okay, if you're married, you get this. It's not going to be what you think it is. And it's, I love premarital because half the time in premarital, I'm trying to be like, okay, it's really hard. So like, no, 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 we know we're going to be fine. I'm like, okay, um, it's really hard. I'm like, no, 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 we're going to be fine. I'm like, how do I see this differently? It's really, it's really hard. And, and there's a side of it where like, you're trying to say it is for better or for worse and understand the covenant. And I get that you, you know each other, but you're trying to like challenge and press and provoke because you got to realize what you're stepping into. Following Jesus is the most beautiful thing ever. And it's an incredibly difficult thing, but it's absolutely worth it. And it's together, it's with each other. And it's going to be one of those things where like, this is hard, but beautiful. And absolutely it is. And I'll say, press in more. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a guy I've mentioned before, a guy who, who, who wrote a book called Life Together, a guy who stood up, a pastor in Germany during World War II, who stood up to just the Nazi army and just a lot of how the church was actually getting involved with nationalism and with their government. And he's going, I'm going to step out and do something a little bit different. So here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about community. He said this, every human wish or every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Another way of saying it is, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. And the, the dream or the idea of what you think and what you hope the church would be, it's not. It's, we're going to fall short and we're going to blow it. But there's a side of it where you're like, I'm still in. It doesn't matter. My dream is not going to get in the way of what this is. I'm sure the disciples' dream was exactly what they voiced, which is, Jesus, when you rule, we want to be on your right and left. And just like, mm, it's not that kind of community. It's not going to be what you think it is. I'm not some political figure that you're going to make some politician. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords who's going to die on a wooden cross and rise again and change the world through that story. And this is, this is not maybe what you want it to be. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. And, he said, and Bonhoeffer's whole point is to get to true community, let go of your dream of community. To get to true friendship, true relationship, true intimacy, just know it's going to look a lot different and embrace that. Just embrace that. Embrace that Jesus' way of, of doing life and life together is going to be a lot different than what we might hope. 
And you know what? Make the most of it. Seek to redeem it. Seek to build into it. Speak into it, not just criticize it. Because you will find faults here and anywhere else you go. But seek to build into it and to pray over it and give yourself to it. Amen? So listen really quick. If you would, just pull up your manual. So I don't even know what to call this. It's a manual. Um, Our discipleship pathway. This week is week one. Be with Jesus. If you would actually just go to page three, there's some simple things here that we're currently doing. And we're not trying to make this tricky or sleek or it's like, oh, we're doing something no one else is doing. Here's the thing. We've used Sunday gatherings, that, that, that temple, the large gathering, a time to worship together, sing together, pray together, hear the word together, be challenged together, love each other well, just get to know each other, different people. This is where we, we think of like large net, like Jesus, we want to know, just we want to see the collective community, just what you're doing that way. Um, but then there's time for community groups, where this to me, I, I don't know how to express this. This is not like, hey, if you're a true Christian or like really intense Christian, community groups is for you. To me, this is for everyone. Like this is the one on eight, one on 10, one on 12. This might be just get people in a group, talking through the word, challenging each other, listening to each other's week, how it went, praying over each other, texting each other throughout the week. This is not like, well, the real Christians do community groups. This is like anyone who's following Jesus, we, let's just do it together. That's the hope of this. And we want to try to organize that as best we can, train our leaders, give them resources, send them, th- you know, prepare them for what's, what's next. Obviously, I know that you can have outside groups. I know that some of your, like, sporting groups are like your, or, or, I don't know, CrossFit groups could be like a little church for you. That's great. But we want to also offer these, these, you know, groups as a way to meet that true, real need as well. But here's something different. Uh, you also got something called core groups. Now, here's what core groups is. If you got this manual, I hope you got this on the way out. If not, grab this. Um, this is not something that we're going to necessarily organize. We're going to give you this and say, hey, listen, if you're in a community group and you love the one on eight because you're meeting a lot of new people, you love the one on 10, you love hearing, you know, you love that, but you go, but I also want something deeper. Not that I want to forsake that, but I also do want to confess sin in a way where this person just walked in today and it's like, hey, I'm going to confess a sin and you just walked in. Like, I get it. There's certain things we might, we might hit that way. Um, so core groups is a way to do that. It's four main things. And you can look at this on your own time. There's four topics and there's like about four questions per topic. And the idea is, first of all, it's confession. The question is just, what have you been struggling with this week? And in a group of two to four, you talk through that. Here's what I've been struggling with this week. It's time of confession. Uh, the next thing you're going to see is, is really um, others, which is just simply praying for others, praying for the lost. I love that portion because it gets your mind off of yourself and onto the lost, and you say, what's your name? And you write it down. We're going to be praying for so-and-so this week. And you might do it for this. You might only meet once a month in core group. You might meet twice a month, but you're just praying for that person who doesn't know the Lord. You're, and it's going to make you more evangelistic. Just watch. As you pray for the lost people, watch you when, you when you see them, engage them differently. The third thing is just reading, meaning uh, we want people to go through what we talk about on Sunday because we don't want to just hear a million different messages. We want to hear the word and apply one thing, yes. But there might come a point in time where you're like, hey, you know what, my two to four guys or my two to four ladies, you know, we, we have this heart for business and we want to grow in our work and our love for the work and how do we bring the gospel into our work. And so we're going to read a book on, on the work and the gospel. Okay, great. And you have a time where you can maybe specify a certain content. You maybe read a chapter a month and you discuss it. And then lastly is just encouragement. You just encourage each other. You speak over each other. Hey, here's what I see in you. Hey, you didn't get so well since I saw you last month. And you just encourage each other. And there's questions to help walk you through this. My thing is this. Um, we didn't want to try to create another thing necessarily for like, okay, let's, or, we have groups and we're going to invest, we're going to double down on groups. We are. We're just going to say, hey, groups matter a lot. But we also want to provide a way for you guys to say, I love my one-on-eight and I'm going to continue to be faithful. But once a month, I'd love to meet with four people that maybe uh, have a similar heartbeat and want to go through similar texts or whatever it might be. So that's what core groups is. This is just here's a resource, really. We would love for you to be able to press into the gospel together, to confess sin together, to encourage each other, to pray for the lost. Amen? Sound good? If you have questions, there's an FAQ in there. You can look at that and then 
ask us questions after that if we didn't <laughs> clarify anything. Uh, last couple things is this. Um, we put here prayer gatherings. We really want to emphasize a walk into 2021 prayed up, man. Um, I think we look at this year and say, man, were we like ready for this in that spiritual praying realm? We want to grow and build some prayer teams. So that might look like prayer teams here on Sundays before church. Maybe even have a group eventually praying during the service. People that want to pray after the service, like before, during, and after, trying to maybe eventually create those teams. We want to, if we get a location for office space or one of those, as we're praying through those things, we'd love to have this on our calendar. So just stay tuned. If, if that were to change, we want to have some prayer times um, as a church or in our office. We might be doing this through Zoom right now, but we want to double down on prayer. We, want, we don't want to just be a church that happens to have prayer, but we're a praying church. That's something we want to give ourselves to. And then you can see here, personal formation. Um, you can go and check this out. If you just keep turning the pages, it kind of walks this more in depth. Um, personal formation is saying, hey, we don't want to give you a fish. We want to teach you how to fish, spiritually speaking. So we want to teach you how to read and pray and study and, and fast. And we want to teach you how to do those things well. So we actually did a series like last year on this. We put those up there. Uh, if you want to listen and go back and refresh yourself, please do that. We also put a little description for how to be silent, how to kind of just calm yourself before you can read the Bible or pray, just to kind of say, God, speak, I'm open. We kind of put this little thing together just to help you. Um, we'll eventually be updating that and putting on some Bible reading plans and things like that. Um, we just want to get some of these things in your hand. Next week, we're going to talk about learn from Jesus, and there'll be some more new things happening then. Um, but our hope is to just have you guys take this, mark it up, bring it back, this is a plan that we're trying to implement for 2021. So we're announcing it now so we can build leaders for some of these things and build some teams for some of these things. So we're ready to go in 2021. Um, I hope that makes sense. I'm very excited about this because we want to make disciples and we want to make true, genuine followers of Jesus to be with him, to learn from him and to do what he did. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to praise God. We're going to thank God. Um, please don't head out yet. I'm going to pray really quick and the worship team is going to come up and we're just going to celebrate you guys, that we are together, that Jesus is risen, that the church, guys, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that no matter what happens or what's thrown at us, we know that the church will still gather in some form, some capacity, and Jesus is faithful. Amen? So let's pray, and then we're going to worship, and then I'll close out with one last thing. All right, so that. Father, we thank you. There is no one like you, and we are just here to just be centered on you, Jesus. Truly, we don't want to be a community centered on anything other than the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus, this is your church that you are the head, that we are the bride, that Jesus, um, we just ask that as we even sing or praise or offer the sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to your name, that Jesus, that this sacrifice would be sweet, it would be beautiful, that Jesus, that it would also melt away the, the idleness in our life, that it melt away the toxicity in our lives, the sin that we're just harboring, or the relationships that we're, we're unforgiving towards, Jesus, we ask that this would be a time where we can be reconciled to you and even others. That Jesus, you do something as we sing, as we worship, as we praise you. Thank you, Jesus, that we're together. Thank you that we're here. And uh, we just ask that you, you just, again, be present in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand and let's just close our time with worship. Come alive, sacrifice oh, you, of praise. city on a hill, surrender to your will, your glory on display. Your glory on display. Awesome in this place, 
Jesus, you are awesome in this place. Worthy to be praised. Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. You will be praised. You will be praised. Your love, a force of grace, consuming every space. It's uncontainable. It's coming like a flood. Our hearts are filling up, and things are possible. All things are possible. Awesome in this place, Jesus, you are awesome in this place. Worthy to be praised, Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. You will be praised. Your praise goes on and on forevermore. We lift the name of Jesus. Your kingdom come is what we're living for. We lift the name of Jesus. Your praise goes on and on forevermore. We lift the name of Jesus. Your kingdom come is what we're living for. We lift the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much again. You are worthy to be praised, Jesus. We lift you up. We want to honor you. We thank you, Jesus. And we ask that you be glorified in your precious name. Amen. Listen, as you guys go, just know that there are some little markers around the room. If you want more information on groups or anything that is happening, Again, you can scan that. Um, we've asked again that whatever door you came in, the front, I think it's that door, the back is that door. If you would just honor each other well and love each other well and uh, just cut, leave the door that you came in, that is it. We love you guys. Go get some cone ice, hang out, get some snacks. God bless you guys. We'll see you in groups, all right? Bye. Awesome in this place. Jesus, you are awesome in this place. Worthy to be praised. Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. You will be praised. You will be
sliding. So it's 